Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. The first half of the May 18th DevOps Lunch and Learn was about security related to the Colonial Pipeline and what we could do to improve against ransomware attacks. Uh, and we talk about a lot of different things that are impacts in that type of attack, and it's really a good exercise in thinking about security, especially security of secondary systems and hardened networks. Uh, very robust, resilient conversation. Uh, and then we switched uh, to CentOS as a topic, so I encourage you to listen to that podcast too. I'm splitting them so that you have two shorter podcasts for your enjoyment. Enjoy. I'll walk. I'll actually describe what they were, what they wanted to do, and then you can tell me if they never did it. Um, but what they what they wanted to do is during the provisioning process, they wanted to be able to copy an image of the disk to um, a spare location. Uh, yeah, disaster recovery kind of thing. Uh, hot bet, hot hot switch over. Yeah, the challenge is the store. You get to you need so much to do a custom one per machine is super storage intensive. So we ended up suggesting doing it as a second partition on the local drives, so you could store a partition, basically clone the machine onto a second drive, one drive to another, as a backup for each machine, because otherwise you're just flooding the network during provisioning time. Um, and I I thought that was pretty good, but it's a it's still an expensive solution and they I, I think it was one of those architectural like hey that would be cool if and then the uh, the actual costs of it interfered with the so what you have to realize is that yeah that's expensive at like many enterprise levels but when you're at the uh size like colonial pipeline and everything that's part of the cost of doing business uh i don't know if you Mm. Yeah, I heard that they paid the ransom and then they found out that their restoration from backup was actually going faster than the uh, ransom, the, the decryption kidnappers uh, restoration. <laughs> <laughs> and so is essentially their system still came up from backup instead of being unencrypted. Uh, I mean, I'm uh, a variation of the like second partition approach would be to do file system snapshots, mm -hmm. or yes. or to to really mount mount your data on on a NAS that that does snapshotting and compression deduplication. Yeah. So, so I actually this is a question to me on the, the whole data encryption component is how are they you know. What are they encrypting, right? Because um, everything. <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, yeah, but realist, realist. I mean, because realistically, you know what? Uh, let me let me break it down this way. Snapshotting whole machines doesn't matter, right? It it's really recreating the whole environment. So if you have a way to recreate the whole environment quickly, and you have a backup, then you're you're done. You don't you you wouldn't necessarily like go back in time a week and then reset the system. The, the, what I would actually recommend and what we counsel customers for is you should be able to run a, run an automated process that builds everything in your data center and then rehearse that all the time. Um, and we have customers doing exactly that. Colonial pipeline right now. 
question is not one of tooling, but one of organization. Customers could have a plan or want to have a plan. The challenge is you have to have, you have to have an operational plan. And if you don't have one, then no amount of tooling or planning or any of that other stuff matters. And so we've been working with a set of customers that want to have that plan. And because of it, they've looked into like backup systems. So now they have a backup. And so now can you integrate that with a recovery system so that within minutes you can get a system rebuilt and have the data it had on it. Okay, that's that's fine, but that's a level of maturity to say, I'm going to have a backup system in place that knows how to do incremental backups or whatever, right? And if you don't have any of that up front, then recovering it on the backside is just not an option, really. And so that's the challenge is getting in front of people to say, hey, you need to have this as a plan up front so that if this happens, you have a recovery mechanism. And right, that becomes a cost that people trade off. And so, okay, until you get past that hurdle, no amount of tooling really solves the problem. Now, you know, we think we have a good answer for that to help them at multiple levels of the problem, but in the end, the, the operational choice has to be made up front. That, until that happens, it kind of doesn't matter what the discussion is. Yeah, I've got to go. Let me throw this out there. I, I, I'm kind of curious where the detection happened, because it sounds like it happened way too late. <laughs> Right. So if you're running OSSEC and you're, you're monitoring the key files on your system, you, you should be able to detect and mitigate that stuff pretty quickly. And so I'm wondering whether, you know, we're, we're talking about, about the restoration side of things, right? Great. But what about the prevention side? It, it doesn't sound like there was good prevention measures put in place. Uh, I think what little I've read, they were doing kind of the their industry standard. And I think their industry standard just demonstrated that it's got big holes in it. <laughs> Theoretically, also from what I've read, this was their corporate IT and their control systems have a more strict enforcement and better detection in place. And supposedly they claimed that their corporate IT was not connected to their pipeline, but in an overabundance of caution, they shut the pipeline down anyway, just in case someone had opened a back door in corporate IT yeah, to right. their operations. So they were being cautious and doing the right thing, but their their corporate IT, I think, um, I think they discovered their corporate IT was more more slack than it should have been wasn't following official policies. And that's also why they shut down the pipeline for caution's sake, because they didn't trust their own IT department after that. Interesting. I, I'm sitting there kind of going after like the year plus of an abundance of caution. I'm ready to throw it to the wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, will they actually... So what little I've done in the industrial internet of things, 
I mean, I, I've done some things that were not as control intense, but the industrial internet of things has always been a lot more separated from the internet. They create their own networks and yeah, they'll use, um, and here's where the, the weak point is, is they use the cell networks of uh, various providers. And in the past, there weren't enough people playing in that space and breaking into it that it was fairly secure for them. They've mm. added more security and they are a little bit more point to point, but um, now those networks are a lot more suspect than they used to be. But the industrial stuff, they were more concerned about people actually getting physical hands on nodes because it was so much more difficult to actually break into their network and uh, and modify code and, and messages and whatnot. That's no longer the case. Uh, am I, if I'm hearing you correctly, right? They're, they're basically saying, I'm gonna not really do security best practices because I've aired out my network and it's not directly connected without a physical presence, ergo, I can forgo this. Uh, no, they still do uh, a bunch of security. It's just, um, it's more along the lines of the military C, C cubed I, where it's like, let's figure out what can, what uh, nasty characters uh, would do and let's do the red team blue team thing and stuff like that but it's different from the internet network um, it's the the weak points are slightly different man in the middle up until recently was uh, more like analog signaling and stuff like that so they are doing all this other stuff but they're also trying to keep the networks as isolated as possible to reduce the uh the um, points of, of interrupt. Uh, and that's why Colonial had their corporate network totally segmented off from their uh, control network, except they didn't trust their IT to maintain that segmentation, segregation. This is back to the operational. Yeah, and, and different industries have different levels of pain points. The power industry is is pretty intense. Uh, some of these, you know, literally with Colonial, they probably have had attacks from the control side. And this is the first time they've gotten, uh, people have come in from the corporate side and came to the point where the folks who are IT are not as good as the folks who are uh, doing security for their control network. <laughs> so it's, it's a problem of segregation of, of duties within the company and finding out that, that some folks are more trustworthy than others in, in their skill sets <laughs> and operations. It's Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Normal IT is a much weaker weaker link than control systems, coders, and uh, security ops for that. 
it was the the thing the thing that I've always seen, and I've been frustrated watching the edge community because I I considered the pipeline stuff basically <laughs> an edge. You know, it's an edge use case. Is the idea of you know set up and automated per provision and resets and things like that. It's not even part of the conversation that, that I see happen. None of the control plane stuff is any anything we're talking about. And so I, I actually think they're, those networks are pretty vulnerable, especially since they're all handcrafted. Yeah, and Stux, Stuxnet's a good example of SCADA, SCADA vulnerability. And none of those systems are designed to do reset, reprovision, they're not even traditional OSs, right? Right. They're not traditional OSs. And they're not traditional, they're not IT style networks. One of the, the, the bigger issues, uh, I think, with, with, with those kind of systems is that they're a lot less agile by necessity. Yes, exactly. Uh, but like with the traditional IT system, we were just talking about, about just rolling back the data. We can't do that in, in a control system. No, you, you, you can't. Right. In the, I, so this is where my head went to with this is that even in standard IT, switches are more like, you know, PLCs and, and fixed assets, fixed, fixed systems. If, if you were looking for a vulnerability, modern switches can run code, right? Can run containers, can they're, they're almost be, just becoming Linux systems. And they have no concept of any of the rollback, reprovisioning and resets. Like if you attack somebody at the switch level, it would be devastating. I, I mean, I don't think any of our customers are prepared to roll back their whole network the way they are. Like we're helping them with the compute side. I don't think they're thinking about the, the networking topology at all. Um, and, well, and maybe I'm wrong. There's, are switches, you know, could switches be a, a vulnerability here? Yeah, of course they are. I mean, you're right. They can run code now. They're running functions. They're doing a whole bunch of things, which is why we put them into our automation system. Yeah. Um, and, and network gateways have been historically favorite uh, targets for uh, small business and, and residential uh, environments because they're, they're usually the, the ones that are the least monitored. Yep. Like uh, all, all of those D-Link, Netgear, Microtech vulnerabilities, even, even Cisco and, and Juniper and, and Palo Alto even, like uh, they, they get constantly targeted because they're the, the, they're, they're the first system that, that you hit when, when, when you attack from the network. Exactly. <laughs> well, but, the interesting but uh, sorry. I was going to say, consider that a lot of these industrial internet of things that are out there. So the pipeline, most of the controls on the pipeline, each of the, uh, the sensor slash uh, valve slash, yeah, the electronically controlled aspects of that pipeline open and close and and uh, setting levels and stuff is generally controlled by a radio. And it wasn't until the cell network came into being that those radios even used uh, the, the carrier uh, technology. So a lot of the stuff is, is 
isolated specific radio band control and uh, command stuff. So it's a totally different world and it, a lot of this stuff hasn't really moved much out of there, which is why I'm saying it's a different network. It's, yeah, uh, that's and it's a, a, a different discipline. Uh, consider the fact that there are oil wells in the, the far north of Canada that can only be reached about two or three months out of the year that have radios on them and electronics controlling them. And if something has to be, if something dies, the safe mode is stop, stop operating. And they, they stay in that state until somebody can get out to that point, but they can't get out to that point in the summer because it's a swamp. And in the winter, nothing goes up in that cold space. So the totally different environment and approach to uh, the world. And that's probably why uh, corporate IT and control IT uh, are so separate. They don't even speak the same language. You know, I get when, when if we're talking a while back, for lack of a better word, right? I'm sure spam messages are flopping in. Um, or they're reminding me I've got to be on another call. Um, you know, the, the, the radio networks, yeah, they used to be unsecure. Now, I mean, you're wrapping security inside. So I think you're talking about a class of legacy devices, right? And there's a boatload of them that were pre- modernization for lack of a better word yep. um, and they were easy to propagate themselves into i think the interesting one talking about kind of the existing security players out there is you know our our defense for you know ddos and all these other things were simply we didn't care we had so much capacity we just absorbed them i, I think when you start talking about the edge side though it really becomes the reverse of that you know there's two things that happen i have virtually no capacity so, so I, I increase my uh, attack surface because I'm deploying much more widely. So it's harder to focus things at one point. But when I do focus it at one point, it's incredibly easy to take offline. So yeah. it's kind of another topology thing that plays into that. Um, and I got to jump. I get to go play the European Final <laughs> Four. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> Next week, we'll jump. I hope that was interesting. Security is always a critical topic, and there's so many dimensions to thinking about doing security well. Uh, and this one, as usual, comes back to operational proficiency more than tooling or anything else. Um, it's hard to build secure systems if you don't have mature operational processes. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or 
just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.